0: Our scripture reading this morning will come from Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 31. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 31. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these.
1: Hopefully by now our theme for 2022 is easy for you to remember. And we've based that theme off of a a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 where Paul acknowledged that the church in Thessalonica was walking the way they need to walk. They were doing the things that God had instructed them to do. They were living in a way that pleased God. And then instead of telling them to just keep up with what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing, which is probably what you or I would say to them, he said, excel still more. That's where we got this more theme from. And throughout the course of this year, I've I've tried to present lessons that that played on this more theme. A few weeks ago, I, I did a lesson called No More Laziness. And I pointed out in that lesson that there are some things in order for us to do more for Christ, and and in order for us to be more like Christ, there are some things there can be no more of in our life. Well, I've unknowingly created a series because I did a no more laziness sermon, and then I did a no more crutches sermon when we honored our graduates, and I just so happened to come up with a third one. And so this morning, even though I'm not doing a technical series, we're continuing this idea of things there must not be any more of in our life. And I want to pose this one, that there must not be any more what-ifs. No more what-ifs. But I want to begin with the story about a frog. I've told this story once before, but there was this frog who was very discouraged and, and very frustrated because... If a young lady would give him a kiss, he would become a prince. But he had yet to find a young lady who would do that. So he decided to go to a fortune teller and have the fortune teller look into his future and let him know when that day might come. And so he approaches the fortune teller. She pulls out her crystal ball. She's looking into it, and she goes, Oh, yes, I I can see your future. And and there is, in your very near future, a, a, a beautiful young woman who is going to be fascinated by you. She's going to want to know everything about you. She's going to be compelled to get close to you. She is going to be fascinated by you. And the frog got really excited, and he said, Well, when is this going to happen? And the fortune teller said, Very soon very soon. Then, in in, in hopes of being prepared for this opportunity, the frog asked, where will it happen? And the fortune teller said, ah, in biology class. (laughs) And needless to say, there's no future for that frog. But sometimes that's how you and I we sympathize with the frog. We feel like there's no bright future in store for us. We we feel like there's no hope for tomorrow. And what we end up doing is living a life that is caught up in the what-ifs. We go around what-ifing our way through life. At, we go around looking at every scenario, every situation, and thinking, what if this happens or what if that happens? We become constant worriers. But is that the way that we were meant to live? Twice in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus instructs us not to be anxious. He says, do not be anxious about your life in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. And then in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Paul would go on in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and say that we should not be anxious about anything. So let me ask you again. Is a what ifing life the life we're meant to live? Now, let's be honest. Not being anxious about our lives and not being anxious about tomorrow and not being anxious about anything is easier said than done. That's why far too many of us have become what ifers. And the problem is that what-ifers will always be less than they can be and less than they should be because as Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25 points out, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. And so this morning, I want to do two things. I want to show you why what-ifing is a problem and I want to show you what it will take to stop being a what-ifer. Let's start with the problem of what ifing. Why is what ifing so dangerous? Well, what ifing is dangerous because it can lead to inertia. Now, inertia, hopefully, some of you know what that word means. Inertia is a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged, it's a lack of movement. And so, worry. And fear can produce inertia in us. It can prevent us from moving forward. It can keep us from reaching our full potential. It can stop us from experiencing the fullness of God's glory. And this happens to what-ifers, because as one preacher pointed out, what-ifers do not enjoy the journey of today because they are so afraid of tomorrow. The classic example of this comes from the book of Numbers. It's when the children of Israel have made it out of Egypt, have made it across the Red Sea, and now they're standing near the promised land, and God says, all right, I need you to send some spies out there, go check out the land, come back and report. So they pick 12 guys out, one from each tribe, send them into the land to go investigate. And guess what? All 12 of them come back with a unanimous report. The unanimous report of all 12 is, that's great land. That's incredibly great land. A nation like us could have a great future on that land. They all agreed on those terms. Two of those spies that you likely know as Joshua and Caleb said, all right, There's great land out there. Let's go take it. Because if God's on our side, we've got nothing to worry about. The other ten spies said, hold your horses. There's giants in that land. We're like grasshoppers to those guys. There's no way we can take that land because those people are there. Joshua and Caleb were focused on who was on their side, the other ten spies were focused on their opposition. And guess what? They didn't move forward. The fear that those ten spies instilled in the nation of Israel, the concern over the giants in the land, kept Israel from claiming the land. At that point in time. And that mentality of fear and anxiety, that mentality that stopped them in their tracks, that mentality that produced such inertia is in stark contrast to God's word. You know, Psalm chapter 118, verse 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. And because this is the day that the Lord has made, the text goes on to say, we should rejoice and be glad in it. The problem for what ifers is that they are so caught up in tomorrow that they don't take time to rejoice in today. Those ten spies were so caught up in the how can we claim that land tomorrow if the giants are still there, that they couldn't rejoice in the fact that, hey, God just got us through all this other stuff and brought us here today. He's obviously on our side. And this mentality also is an affront to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17 Paul says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you go over to Galatians 5, verse 22, Paul Paul identifies joy and peace as fruits that Christians should produce as a result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The point is that if you're consumed with worry, and fear, then you're not consumed with the kingdom attributes that God intends for you to possess. And when you're consumed with worry and fear, you're not going to move forward in the way that God intends for you to move. You know, no one goes to Mount Everest to enjoy lodging in those beautiful tents at base, base camp. That's not an Airbnb destination. People go to Mount Everest because they want to summit the world's tallest mountain. If you just go to Mount Everest and set up camp and you never do anything, then you miss out on the glorious reward of making that summit. Of etching your name in the history of the few that have accomplished that feat. I'm not trying to take away from those who go and are unable to finish the summit. I'm just saying you don't go so you can live in a tent at base camp. You don't claim that you conquered Mount Everest because you set up in a tent. You go to complete the journey. And I want you to think just real quick. That generation that bought into the report of the ten spies, the report of fear and worry, what are they remembered for? Wondering. Not reaching their destination. See, what ifing can cause inertia. What ifing can prevent us from moving forward in the way that God intends. But what ifing can also do this it can also create a distraction. I like the way one preacher put it, or described worry, I should say. He said, Worry is an attempt to live in and thereby control the future. See, oftentimes when you worry, you're trying to predict what will happen, so that you can assert some sort of control over it. And the end result is that you can stay so busy trying to preemptively combat the things you're worried about that you fail to give your attention to what really matters. And in the end, all you've accomplished by worrying is the creation of a distraction. You remember the time when Jesus visited the home of Mary and Martha? As the story goes in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, what did the text say Mary was doing? Mary was listening. And what did the text say Martha was doing? Martha was serving. Now, most of the time when I reference this story, I I do so to address issues of busyness, to talk about the fact that Martha was too busy to make time to listen to Jesus. But the issue is bigger than that when you really pay attention to this story, because the text specifically states that Martha was distracted with much serving. It's not just that she was busy. It's that her focus was not in the right place. And we find out where her focus should have been in the following verses. Because if you keep reading, picking up in verse 40 of Luke chapter 10, it says, And Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. See, Jesus identified the problem with Martha. The problem wasn't that she wanted to be a good hostess. The problem wasn't that her her, um, accusation against Mary was unfounded. The problem was that she was anxious and troubled about many things. The problem was that her worries distracted her from the most important thing. They kept her from focusing on the Savior. And the Bible indicates that you can't focus on Christ when you're distracted by worry. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 12, it's the first two verses. It instructs us to throw off everything that hinders And the sin that so easily entangles. And to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the reason worry falls into the category of that which hinders and that which entangles It's because worry is pointless, worry is faithless, and worry is godless. I'm not the one who came up with that. Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 27, Jesus said that worry is pointless because it cannot lengthen your life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 through 30, he then goes on to indicate that worry is faithless because it originates from a lack of trust in God. And in verse 31 and 32 of that same chapter, Matthew 6, Jesus said that worry is godless because it is a characteristic of pagans, of those living without God. Jesus told us that worry is completely wrong for us. And yet, still go back to it. And it's that kind of worry, that kind of fear, that's what hinders, that's what entangles, and that's what keeps us from fixing our eyes on Jesus like we should. You see, there is nothing positive that worry can do for you. So when you consider what the Bible has to say about what ifing our way through life, it becomes apparent that as Christians we should not be numbered among the what ifers, instead we should be a so water." And that terminology is biblical. Philippians chapter one, Paul writes from prison, "His imprisonment is unjust, he has no idea how it will turn out, and people outside of prison are slandering him. And there's nothing he can do about it. So look at what he says to his scenario. Luke, I mean, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18. As he faces an unknown future, his response, depending on the translation you use, is, what then? Or what does it matter? Or so what? There's two words in Greek, tigar. Now you might be confusing that with Tigur who is a, a pretty non-worrisome character in Winnie the Pooh. But the word is T, gar So what? What then? What does it matter? And if you read Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, you see that Paul's point is that his circumstances don't matter. And he goes on to explain what does matter. That in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul's focus was not on the crisis that he was facing. His focus was on Christ. That's the difference between so waters and what ifers. So waters have learned to fix their eyes on the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 says. And as a result, whenever they face something difficult, whenever they face something that could produce worry their response is so what jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and he's on my side and if you want to be numbered among the so waters let me suggest two things you must do number one so waters praise in all circumstances you may remember an instance in Paul's life where he demonstrated this quite well, and it actually happened in the city of Philippi, the city, to who, the, the, the city in which the church he's writing to in, in the book of Philippians. It's back in Acts chapter 16. Paul and, and his companion Silas are there in Philippi planting the church. They come in contact with a, a slave girl who is demon-possessed, and they cast out that demon. Now, that demon had empowered that girl to tell fortunes. And so her owners used that to make a nice little profit for themselves. And once that demon was cast out, she could no longer tell fortunes. And so her owners were irate because their money-making scheme was gone. So what did they do? They grabbed Paul and Silas. They took them to the city council, accused them of stirring up the city, of creating dissension, of disturbing the peace. So Paul and Silas were thrown in prison for casting out a demon, essentially. And while in prison, they were beaten with rods. We're told that they received many blows. We don't really know how many that would result in. And then they were chained to the floor, or as verse 23 and 24 tell us, their feet were fastened in stocks. You know, under such circumstances, you and I might complain about the injustice and worry about what happens next. But not Paul and Silas. You look at Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And it tells us how they approached their circumstances with their so-what mentality. Because Acts chapter 16, verse 25 says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening in. Instead of succumbing to that what-if mentality, Paul and Silas adopted the so-what approach. They did this in large part because they had learned to praise God in all circumstances. In fact, that would be Paul's message for the church in Philippi when he wrote to them later. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The guy who sang praises at midnight in prison now turns to the Christians in the same city where that happened and said, here's the expectation for you no matter what situation you find yourself in rejoice that's a so water and paul indicated that peace which is essentially the absence of anxiety peace is linked to rejoicing and praying. So if you're struggling with worry and fear, the first step you should take is to worship God because it is through worship that we declare that God is greater than our worries and our fears. One preacher pointed out, So waters believe nothing in their future trumps God's worthiness to be proclaimed for who He is. That's why so waters praise in all circumstances. And do you know what that means? That means that if you're a so water, then it doesn't matter what the stock market does. It doesn't matter what the price of gasoline is. It doesn't matter what the lab results say. It doesn't matter what makes the headlines. It doesn't matter who gets elected because a so water like Paul will rejoice and continue to rejoice. Those were his words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, after he said, so what? If you want to be a so water, you need to learn to praise in all circumstances, but you also are going to need to major in history. Corey Tinboom once said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Her words echo an important biblical truth, that what we know about God in the past should impact the way we face the future. In fact, this was Jesus' chief argument in Luke chapter 12 when he instructed us to not be anxious. Jesus stated that God is to be feared above anyone or anything else. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And the evidence Jesus gave for why we should not fear or worry about everything was God's history. He pointed to God's track record, if you will. In particular, he noted God's care of the ravens, and the lilies in Luke chapter 12, verse 24 and 27. He, indica- he said that those are indicators of what we can expect of God, what He will do for us, since we are of much more valuable than the ravens or the lilies. What Jesus was ultimately saying is that, hasn't God proved that he can take care of what He's created? This was also Paul's point in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Paul said, He who did not spare his own Son but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's rhetorical question is asking that if God wouldn't even hold back his Son from us, then why would we think that he won't come through for us in the future? See, the point is this. What we know about God, about what he's done in the past, it ought to trump our fear about what we don't know about the future. And that's why Paul could conclude Romans chapter 8 with these words. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we can look at history. We can look at the incarnation. We can look at the crucifixion. We can look at the resurrection. And we can know that God is not only in control, but that God is going to take care of things for us. What God has done for us trumps any what-if you can imagine. Because in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. So if you want to be a what ifer you better start majoring in history. Remembering what the Lord has done for His people throughout the ages. What He's done for His very creation. Those of you over the age of... Thirty-five. we'll likely remember the first Gulf War in 1991. It's kind of a war that gets forgotten, primarily because it was so short, relatively speaking, and so dominated, relatively speaking. But the war started because Saddam Hussein and the nation of Iraq invaded Kuwait. Allied nations led by the United States ordered him to leave Kuwait. He didn't, so we went over there. Now, he threatened to send Scud missiles into Israel if the Allied forces invaded his country. At that time, it was believed that he had chemical and biological weapons. Therefore, in Israel, they began to pass out gas masks and to teach the populace how to handle chemical warfare. That led to a lot of high-stress in Israel at the time. On January 17, 1991, the Allied Nations launched Operation Desert Storm against Iraq and Saddam Hussein responded as promised by firing Scud missiles into Israel. A total of 39 Scud missiles were sent into Israel during the seven weeks of warfare, but after the war ended, research was conducted by doctors and they discovered that more people died as a result of heart attacks during that seven weeks than they did from the impact of missiles. In other words, they discovered that the threat of the missiles killed more more people than the missiles themselves. And the point is that fear and worry does more harm than good. That may be why God calls us to be so waters rather than what ifers. And if we want to do more and be more, we're going to have to let go of our what-ifs because you cannot honor the one who created you when you're exhibiting the very spirit that he did not give you. Remember Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Maybe there's some among us today who have been operating out of a spirit that God did not give us, and it's time to relinquish that spirit because we all have to agree that worry does not belong in the life of a Christian since Jesus repeatedly instructed us to not be anxious. This morning you might be a what ifer and it's time to convert you to a so-water. And the first step in that whole process is to make sure your sins have been addressed. Maybe today you need to put on Christ in baptism after confessing that He is the Son of God who has risen from the grave and after repenting of your sins so that you can become a so-water. And it may be today that you are A Christian who has struggled to embrace the so what mentality. Why don't you let us pray with and for you? Why don't you let the family of God help you? Today we offer this invitation for us to eliminate what ifs from our lives, and maybe that's what you need to do this very moment. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?